I'm Pastor Joe Castillo of All Nations International Fellowship, coming live to your device all the way from Beijing, China. Enjoy this podcast while you're driving your car, maybe doing household chores, or even your morning devotion. As you join us today, I trust the living Word of God to touch your life. His name is Yeshua, and He is Lord of all. Check us out online at anif.cc. Okay, well, it's important that we remember that, and I have to remember too, it's important for me, for all of us to remember, a couple of things. One is the, the church is, uh, comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. I probably pronounced that wrong. But it comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, which means the called out ones. So like my brother said here, uh, you know, it's nice to come out together with all the called out ones. But there is no size in that. There's no size in that. But there can be, of course, uh, it could be a bigger party. And I'm kind of a party animal. I like, mm-hmm. you know, everyone together, laughing, talking, fellowshipping. I, I love the, the big party, you know. And in a group like this, it's a bit more intimate, so on. Uh, so I prefer that. But it's important to remember that the church and the, how we have church, how we celebrate and come together and have church as the called out ones, the message that we preach and the message that we have in the Bible, oh, this message is sacred. The word of God, the message in here is sacred. But the method is not sacred. And if we do it through hip-hop or rock and roll, or we do it in a big church or in a small group or a small setting or in a cafe, that's not sacred. The message is what's sacred, not the methodology. So the question is for all of us, which method of having church is the most effective? Which method is the most effective? And that really depends on the social context. Uh, for example, this type, of, this type of thing works. This is what we're doing now. It works in some places. It works in Korea. They have a million members in Korea. Uh, Yonggi Cho's church, or 800,000. Let's take a look here at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. The social climate in China may be much different than that of your home country. And actually, the social climate, the way it is here in Beijing, in China, is very similar to the book of Acts. The book of Acts was also the very first church. They were born on the day of Pentecost. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start at the birth of the church. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at the birth of the church. The church was birthed in the climate of persecution. Isn't that something? The church was born, the church was birthed in an environment where it was illegal to preach Jesus Christ. That's where the church was born. So let's take a look in the book of Acts at how this methodology Because the message is sacred, but not the method, right? Let's take a look at their methodology. And let's take a look at Acts chapter 2. And let's read from verses 1 to 11. Let's read it out loud. Can somebody read the first four verses out loud? Okay. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing, rushing, mighty wind. 
and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them separated tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. So one of the first things I like to point out, and, uh, you know, I hate to be Captain Obvious, but the very first thing that we have to note in the very first verse is that they were all in one accord. That doesn't mean they were all driving in a Honda Accord. <laughs> yes, I was confused. You were confused. Thank you. I proved to you the Bible is wrong. There wasn't any cars back then. Somebody wrote this. No, the all in one accord means that they were all in unity. Isn't that something? They were all in unity. You know, unity is one of the most difficult things to have. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most difficult things to have, and especially in the Christian environment. And even more so in the Jewish environment. If you want to get a hundred different answers, ask a hundred different Jewish people about something. And, and Am I right? They're well known for having their own opinions. And if you go to any park, any place in Central Park, New York, where the Jews are hanging out and playing chess, you always hear them arguing with each other, fighting and arguing and disagreeing about all kinds of things. You can imagine all kinds of things. They even have one of their books, one of their holy books in the, in the Judaism, where it's just a bunch of different people arguing. This rabbi says this, this rabbi says that, this rabbi says this. You know, So finding unity is a very difficult thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do, especially if you're a Christian. Because a Christian, uh, Christians, we believe, hey, be nice, be kind, let everyone have their own opinion and allow them so on. You know, we want to let people have their own opinion and stuff. But it's really important that on some things we agree and on some things we are in unity. And in what those things are that we should agree on and what those things are that we should be in unity on should be the, the basic message of the gospel should be the basic meaning of the truth in God's word. That that doesn't mean we won't disagree on certain points, but the general overall theme and uh, and meaning, the surface meaning of scriptures, we should agree with, okay? For example, the Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So we should agree in the very basic meaning that there needs to be holiness in your life if you want to see God, okay? Now, you could go deeper and deeper, and then you might disagree on on some of the, the deeper things, uh, you know. But I heard one man say that it takes a theologian to misunderstand the Bible. Mm. That if you just read it as it is, there there's a, a pretty clear consistency and there's a plain meaning. And if you go deeper and deeper and deeper, there's a lot of treasures to be found. For example, pie. Pi is found in the Bible in two, in two places, right? Yes, first verse in the Bible, encrypted the uh, number pi. Yeah, would you write that on the board? Would you would you show that? Oh, okay. Real quick. Uh, the Greek pi. Uh, it's, it's in well, when was pi discovered? So pi was first discovered by the Chinese about 2,000 years ago to the level of that degree. I mean, everyone, everyone knew the basic understanding, but to four or five digits, that's the Chinese had it. And they found it encrypted in the Hebrew 
and another value encrypted in the Greek. So the first verse of the Bible is, do you guys remember? What's the first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And they have a simple formula, a very common formula for hiding something. You take the letters times their value uh, divided by the words times their value. Very simple. And they got uh, pi to 3.1415. or no, five digits. So that's using the Hebrew uh, way of encoding, uh, encoding. Guess what they found in the New Testament in Greek? What's the first verse of the book of John? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. You do the same formula. Guess what you get? The value of E. No way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're sitting there going, no way. It, the, it sounds the same. The same formula. And these are two constants in the whole universe. They don't change. And they have very significant meaning. Should I tell you the meaning of pi? Very interesting. Pi is one dimension encapsulated by another dimension, the ratio. Okay? So what does the verse say? What's the first verse of uh, Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth. You have two dimensions, a higher dimension, a lower dimension, and their ratio. Oh, my goodness. It matches. Uh, It matches the concept. E is very interesting because if you're working with logarithmic, uh, uh, it's very hard to work with logarithmic because they're way up in the, uh, they're just astronomical. So you need to use LN and E to bring things down. So so if you want to get from the uncomprehensible to something we can comprehend, you use the function LN, very, very common, or log. And what is LN of E? The Lord is? Wow, this is interesting. To go from a higher dimension to a lower dimension, you actually have to use E. And it just matches, it's talking about Jesus. One from a higher dimension going from a lower dimension. One from an upper dimension going to a lower dimension. It's impossible that that would happen by accident. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for that. Amen. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, okay? So the deeper and the deeper and the deeper you go into the Word of God, you cannot exhaust it. It's inexhaustible. So to find unity amongst the saints, as you can see, uh, can be very difficult, especially if there's this person that's on this level, you know, and they're very high and they study the Word and in prayer and they understand Greek and Hebrew and all these mysteries. And then you got another person who's just in a good old Baptist church and hears the message of Christ's death every single week. They might totally disagree with this guy because this guy has revelation beyond revelation. Like, like Paul said, I have an abundance of revelation, right? So it's kind of hard for someone on that level to kind of come down the mountain or this person on that level to come up the mountain and find a place where they agree. But unity is essential. Okay? Unity is essential. And, and one of the things that sticks out to me right now as he's talking is, is think about how essential unity is that even the Godhead who is three in one, and they are in perfect unity. Okay? That word, the, the word unity actually means to be one. And if we see that here, the definition, one of the definitions of unity in mathematics is the number one. The number one 
is the meaning of unity. So they were all in one accord, or they were all one, of one mind, one heart, one spirit. That is perfect unity. God is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Bible says that these three are one. Isn't that amazing? That God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus, they have separate personality, separate, you know, ability to think and move and act, but they're in one unison. Robert, please. That's why they started the university, mm. to study the one. Mm. Yeah. So the mm. university has the same root, mm. to study the one. To study God. Yeah, the one God. And you know who started it? The Jesuits. Okay. Well, in Europe, in Europe. I mean, there was a university in Africa in ancient times, right? Not to distract you. No, that's good. I like and, it. And uh, the Jesuits even started the, the first university in China here, in Macau, wow. St. Paul. Wow. Uh, but uh, Europe definitely followed on, you know. Wow. That would make sense why all the universities started off as Bible Christian. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Harvard, Yale, all of them were Christian theology schools, right? Princeton University, one. So God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have separate uh, intellectual abilities and, and, and personalities, but they are all one. That is powerful, okay? The early church caught a, 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 caught a wind of that, and they came together, and they were through a time of prayer together. They became one heart and one mind and one spirit. They were all in one accord and one place. The Bible says that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of that. And we tend to use that verse to talk about uh, a church service or a concert. You'll be in a church service with maybe a couple hundred thousand people and say, oh, we're, you know, Jesus is here because we're all together in his name, you know. Or you'll be in a, a Christian concert with many thousands of people. You know, the Lord is here because we're gathered in his name, you know. But actually, so what if that verse doesn't mean when everyone comes together in his name? What if that means that when literally, like Jesus said, two or three, Literally, if just two or three people of one heart, one spirit, one mind, when they come together, they can manifest the very presence of Jesus Christ because they're a small group and they're all of one accord in one heart. If you get a big group with 5,000 people, you have people that are there to find a boyfriend, people there to find a husband, a girlfriend. You have people there for a fashion show. You have people there because it's Sunday or because it's the popular place to be or somebody dragged them there. So you get a crowd like that. You don't really have people in one accord. My friend Daniel Black, you know Daniel Black, he, he has a small church. I don't know, 80 or 60 people or so on. His dad's been pastoring a small church for 20-something years. And, but they've been together, these people. have been together for years. And they had an experience, I don't know if I told you guys before, where they were all caught up into the third heaven together, the entire church. Did I tell you guys this before? They were, they were all, while the pastor, they were worshiping, they were all went into trances. Every single person in the building, including the pastor. Daniel Black was there. He grew up in that church. His father's the pastor. They all went into a trance. 
They were all projected out of their body, like John and Island of Patmos went before God. They all projected out of their body as their bodies sat in their chairs wherever they were positioned. And they were, they were all in heaven. They were all walking on uh, red streets. The streets were red from rubies, like ruby red. And they were all there before the throne together. After some time passed, I forgot, I, I don't know if it was five minutes or five hours, I don't remember. Uh, he, he did mention it, but I don't remember. He said when they came down out of the trance and people began to wake up, the entire sanctuary, the whole church was covered in red ruby dust. Their clothes, their body, and every single person as they came up, as they came back into their bodies, there was red ruby dust all over the church, all over their clothes, and every single person was like, you know, oh, you were there, you were there, I was there, did this really happen, was I just dreaming, what happened? They all went corporately into heaven together. I don't know or think that can happen in most church settings. But in a church like this where they've been together and they're, and they're hungry for God and they're one accord and one mind and they've been with the pastor and they all have that same spirit and they're all worshiping God together, there has to be a true fulfillment of the verse, here I am in the midst of them. It has to do with unity. Let me give you another verse to back that up in case you don't believe me. The Bible says... When any one or two of you, or two or three of you, agree mm. as touching any one thing on this earth, you shall have whatever it is you desire from my Father. You guys know that verse? That word agree in the Greek word is symphonos. It's the concept of a symphony. A symphony, you might have a violins and trombones and drums, and you might have a, a, a whole, you know... 200-piece symphony, but all together making the same sound at the same time in symphonos, in perfect symphony. That's what Jesus said. When two or three agree, or are symphonos, in perfect agreement, spirit, soul, body, with the Holy Spirit there, whatever you ask shall be given to you. That's why marriage is so powerful. Mm. Any pastor will tell you that when a husband and wife agree on something together, it's the, one of the most powerful prayer partners you could have. Because there's a greater level of agreement and unity between a husband and wife. Isn't that something? That's why the Bible tells married people, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Make amends before you go to sleep so your prayers are not hindered. Because answer prayers come from high level of symphonos, agreement and unity. So when we see here, they were all in one accord in one place. This actually, this verse, chapter 2, verse 1, wasn't a, 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 they just got together, drank a cup of coffee, and then they were all in one accord. But these guys were praying together. They were praying together. They were praying together for a week, kind of a shut-in. Probably they weren't in unity on day one and day two. Maybe some people were hungry, some people were angry, some people were sad. But a week together, as they just began, as they prayed together, prayed together all week, and they were arguing about who's going to be the next apostle. And they had to cast lots. Isn't that something that before the Holy Ghost came, they had to cast lots to find out the will of God? And may I submit to you that in the flesh, casting lots, they chose their own apostle 
to be the 12th apostle. And that apostle, you never hear about them ever again in the word of God. But Paul, later on, Paul says, I am the apostle born out of due season. He was the 12th apostle born out of due season. But after, but because they didn't have the Holy Ghost yet, they weren't able to discern who was the one that God wanted to replace. The first couple, you know, days that they were there, all together praying, who knows, you know, what kind of arguments and disagreements. Who knows who could have been judging Peter because he laughed and cussed three times. And who knows the kind of flesh that they had to deal with. But after a week, in the fullness of time, and they were there together praying in one accord and in one heart, God did something beautiful. God did something great. And the Holy Spirit came. Unity is where God pours out his blessing. Amen? Unity uh, accomplishes the impossible. Unity accomplishes the impossible. And let's turn to Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to start at verse 1. But I'd like to show you the definition of unity. Unity here is defined as a state of being united or joined as a whole. A thing forming a complex whole. A symphony is a complex whole. Brass section, percussion section, string section. So complex, totally different instruments, totally different skill sets, totally different you know, sounds, but they fulfill a complex whole. Unity amongst the church can be done with Americans and, and Bulgarians and Africans and, you know, Asians. A complex, different cultures, you know, different backgrounds, different thoughts and different feelings, different emotions. But we can form a complex whole. Unity, once we get to that whole, we can do the impossible together. And I think uh, we have plenty of, you know, experiences in history. But let's take a look here at Genesis chapter 11. Starting with verse 1. This is not my Bible. I like the King James. I think this is maybe Eric's. But it says in my Bible, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Isn't that something? The purpose of their meeting was to not be scattered over the face of the earth. And God did that exactly. He scattered them over the face of the earth. But let's continue on. Amen. But the Lord came down to see the city and tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they shall plan, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Isn't that something that God Almighty Jehovah, now do you know what they were doing at this Tower of Babel? Some scriptures say they were building a tower up into heaven. 
And people always try to figure that out, you know, trying to build a tower to heaven. How could you reach heaven? And then some people say, oh, they were just trying to reach a high tower that they thought could touch the clouds. Actually, what it actually says in the Hebrew, what they were doing, is they were trying to build an, an altar, a place of worship, where they could tap into the heavenly powers mm-hmm. in the high levels of the demonic realm, is what they were doing. Nimrod was, was, was one of the first... Uh, leaders of occultic magic powers, and and and, and he, they were trying to build a tower that could access high levels in the demonic realm. That's what they meant by trying to touch heaven. So here they are trying to directly oppose God and tap into a demonical hierarchical realm that would reach the heavenly powers, and they're directly opposed to God. But Jehovah Himself said. Nothing will be impossible for them. Even though their intention is totally against God, nothing will be impossible for them because they have this unity. They had this symphonies. Different opinions, different feelings, but they laid them aside to be in one heartbeat with each other and probably with the enemy. Unity can accomplish the impossible. With or without the will of Jehovah, unity can accomplish the impossible. But how many know we want to do the will of God? Amen. Mm. We want to do the will of Jehovah. But it's just interesting to find the power of unity. Unity is what the Acts church fought for. The early church fought for unity again and again and again. And I want to bring that out here in Ephesians chapter 4. You can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And this time, maybe Frank could read for us Ephesians 4. If you don't know where Ephesians is, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Gentiles eat pork chops. G-E-P-C. Gentiles eat pork chops. (laughs) I'm joking, I'm joking. The Jews don't. Ephesians chapter 4. And Robert doesn't either. Right? I do now. He's getting your purse. <laughs> 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 That's a joke. Not in China. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 16. Ephesians 4, 3 to 16. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. Let me read that in, in two real quick. Just that verse 3, okay? Mm-hmm. Make every effort to keep the unity. Go ahead. Okay, four. There is no one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one and Father of all, who is above all and through all in you all. Seven. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he said, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now, now that he ascended, what is it but? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Verse 10. He that descended is the same also that ascended up for above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. 12. For the perfecting of the saints, 
for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come in one unity, in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the, by the slight of men and cunning uh, craftiness, whereby they lie in which to deceive. 15. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into, into him in all things, which is, head, which is the head even <coughs> And 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplier, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make it increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Amen. 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 So we see here that one of the things that they endeavored, and the verse says it about three times in this section, unity, unity, unity. And you see that another picture, that symphonos, when they're talking about the body parts, all the joints, all the ligaments, different shape, different sizes, different functions, look differently, but all coming together is fulfilling one single purpose, a single purpose. Unity is what the early church endeavored for. And the persecution actually helped build the unity. We had to stop the recording at that point, but you might be listening right now and you say, Pastor Joey, I wanted to pray that prayer. If I was there, I would have prayed with you. I'd like to pray right now, as a matter of fact. I'd like to give my life to Jesus Christ. I would like to have God in my life, and I'd like to know Jesus as my Savior and my Lord and surrender my life to Him. You know, repentance means to turn away from your way of doing things and to turn to God's way. We've done things our own way, like they used to say in Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. When I did the 12 steps, they said, your best decisions and your best ways of thinking and your best ways to handle life have gotten you to this situation. And now it's time to trust a higher power. Well, there is no higher power than the God of all the earth. His name is Jehovah. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And through him, you can turn from your way of doing things to his way. And his way is the right way because he made you. And he made you for a purpose. And he knows exactly what you need to pull out your potential to forgive you of your sins, deliver you from the things that keep you away from God in a sin and death cycle. And if you'd open up your heart to him right now, together with me, God can begin a new work in your life. So just pray with me wherever you're at, whether you're driving your car, whether you're at home, uh, wherever you are, just, just pray with me and repeat after me. Say, Father, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. I believe that your son died for my sins. And on the third day, 
he was raised from the dead. From this day forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like you to contact me. And we can send you some more resources and materials that can help you start this new life. Because this is the first day of the rest of your life. Email me at joe at nationsabroad.com or email the church at nfcontact at gmail.com. And we'd love to speak with you and just correspond with you and put you on the right path. Maybe help you find some local churches there online or something, or maybe we know some pastors there that could follow up with you and help teach you the Word of God. Thank you for listening, and feel free to download the other podcasts and just feed on the Word of God.